Hello and welcome to this podcast from Fields Church. Fields Church have a heart for God and a heart for people and we hope that you find this podcast both inspiring and uplifting. If you'd like to know more about our vision for this community, why not visit our website at www.fieldschurch.uk. Good morning everybody. How are we all doing? Heart-wrenching, aren't, aren't these? Some of these testimonies are heart-wrenching, aren't they? I just, I'm just amazed that Kyle is here. Your courage, Kyle, to come here today and share that. Um, I just want to thank you for doing that. It's really tough. And I know some people in the church have lost loved ones recently, and it's a very sensitive, sensitive issue, but it's good. You're in the right place. This is where we need to be, where God's love is. Amen. So uh, I'm going to pray before we get into the message. Father God, I thank you that your word says that you are the God of all comfort, that you comfort us when we mourn, you comfort us when we grieve, you comfort us when we're going through tough, difficult, challenging times. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us forever. Jesus left the earth and said, I'm going to leave you. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. And he is with us. And I pray and thank you for your comfort today to these precious people who have given their testimony. Father God, I thank you for this message of the Beatitudes. It's countercultural to where we are in our world, Father God, and goes against things that we believe as Christians and the way we're meant to respond and react and act in the world and live out our faith in a world that is very broken and very lost. But I thank you. I believe that we have the answer. The church has the answer. Its name, His name is Jesus Christ. So, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us so that we could live with you for eternity. I thank you, Lord, as I share the word of life this morning, I pray that everyone would be blessed. I thank you for every heart and every ear to be open to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. And if you love the Lord, you'll say amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5, verse 6. If you do that with me, I want to thank Josh and... uh, Mark, for doing some great messages the last couple of weeks. We're going to carry on over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. Going to continue with this. There's eight sessions in all. This is part four and of our series on the Beatitudes. And we're going to have today, uh, we're going to look at the fourth Beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So um, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to share a little story um, uh, I've shared this story before, but some of you might not have heard this story. Because we're talking about righteousness, uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does all that mean? You know, we need, to be, we need to live right as Christians. That's what this basically means. And I'm going to explain some of this as I go along. Um, but there was a, one, one day I went for a ride on my motorcycle. So I've got a motorbike. I love motorbikes. And um, Esther was with me, and I was with a friend called Graham. Who remembers Graham? And I got this funky number plate. I had this number plate made, and it was black and chrome. Uh, It was plastic, but it looked like black and chrome. And on the bottom of it, I had the faster pastor. (laughs) Yeah, the faster pastor. I had that written on, it was actually embedded in, in the number plate. Now, I must say that having this number plate was uh, not quite legal. And I might have known that it was not quite legal. And I'm going round a roundabout, and the next thing, I hear these sirens, and it's the police. And I'm, I'm unshaven, I've got my leathers on, Esther's on the back, my friend Graham's in, I thought, what's going on? And the policeman stopped me, 
And you've got to honour the police, all right? I love the police. I didn't, as a young man, I hated the police, but anyone in authority I hated, but you've got to love the police. So uh, he stopped me. He said, do you understand why I stopped you? I said, no, I, I don't. What's the problem? Have we done something wrong? And he said, well, that number plate is illegal. And I said, oh, okay. And he sort of looked at the number plate and then looked at me, and I said, that's fine, just give me a ticket. Now, I could have said, I could have argued, couldn't I? And, and said, you know what, I didn't realise that and just argued my case, but ignorance is no excuse for the law. And then he looked at the number plate and he saw the faster pastor. And he said, are you a pastor? And I, I sort of hung my head in shame and I said, yes, guilty as charged, that's me. And he said, oh, I feel quite intimidated now. That, that's what he said. I said, no, please don't be intimidated. Just write me a ticket. I've done wrong, and I need to pay a fine, which I did. It was about 30 quid. So don't judge me. <laughs> Is that all right? We all do stupid things. It was a stupid, but it looked cool. <laughs> I could have said to the policeman, but it looks cool. I mean, don't you admit, it looks, it looks sort of goes with the age of the bike. Anyway, that's my story. Okay, are you at Matthew 5, verse 6 yet? Yes, here we go. I'm going to read it. I'm going to start it and then I'm going to explain this word blessed. Matthew 5 verse 6, the NIV says blessed. Now this word blessed is makarios in the Greek. And it is a really difficult word to try and translate. Because it doesn't mean blessed as in I've got loads of things. That's not what it means. It means a state of spiritual well-being and prosperity. The happiness is a deep joy of the soul. A state of joy and well-being that does not depend on physical temporary circumstances. That word blessed is an internal joy that the world can't give us. It's something that we have within. In spite of the circumstances that we face in life, hard or, or good, hard or good, we have this internal joy. So this verse carries on to say this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. For they will be filled now, the word filled is also translated satisfied. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. And Jesus links righteousness, hunger and thirst together in the same sentence to show us that righteousness is just as necessary for Christians as food and water is for us as people. Not just for Christians, all right? We all need food and water. How many of you love food? I love food. Do I live to eat or eat to live? I can't remember now. I think it's live to eat. I think it is. So if our outward man needs water and food, our spiritual man needs righteousness just as much. We're dependent on righteousness as Christians. And we'll explain that as we go along. Now, our spiritual man is dependent and revolves around righteousness. Okay, Jesus didn't say, if you hunger and thirst for position, you'll be satisfied. Jesus didn't say, if you hunger and thirst for success, you'll be satisfied. Jesus didn't say, if you hunger and thirst for status, you'll be satisfied. He said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled or satisfied. Now, the basic meaning of righteousness, can someone tell me what that means? I'm going to ask this side. Don't shout it out this side yet. Don't spoil it. No spoiler alert for these people over here. What does righteousness mean in its basic form? To be in right standing with God or right relationship with God. Is that right? The moment we are saved, the moment we are saved, the moment we give our life to Jesus, whether we realize it or not, we are fully righteous. We are fully righteous. Whether we realize that or not, that's what the Bible says. 
So, if we're fully righteous, why do we still need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, there are two other aspects that I want to talk about this morning, about righteousness that we're going to look at a little bit later. Now, that word hunger, if you look at that word hunger, it means to crave ardently, eagerly seek after, to desire. How many of you, you know, when when you're really hungry, you desire food and you want to go and seek food, you want to go and look for it? Who knows what I'm talking about? And when you're thirsty. That word thirst, look at that, I love this. The word thirst means this, painfully feel the need for water. How many of you have been so thirsty? Uh, Josh, I know you you did this uh, walk across the Sahara, is that right? I mean, how crazy is that? (laughs) Did you just take plenty of water? Were there times when you were really thirsty, your lips are dry, aren't they? It's like they're cracked as well. And And you're so desperate for water, what do you do when you get it? Does it satisfy? Have you been really thirsty and you're in, and you're in your car and it's beat, the sun's beating down and you're really thirsty and you stop at a shop and you get a nice cold Coke? I don't drink Coke or anything like that anymore, but a nice cold Coke. And what do you do when you get that? It's straight down, isn't it? Does that sort of feel, you know, meet the need of your thirst? But that's what it means. Painfully feel the need for water. That's what it means. How many of us have gone a long time without a drink? And then had it and felt, God, I really feel satisfied now. That's, that's the kind of feeling that we're, we're thinking about. You know, the word filled here in this verse means this. It means to feed and it means to satisfy. So when you've had a good meal, what do you normally do once you've had a good meal? <laughs> no, that, that wasn't in the script. Yeah, I know we do that as well because the, the eyelids are connected to the tummy muscles, aren't they, really? When you've eaten food, you know, what do you feel like? You feel sad. You think, oh, that was really good. Don't you, Josh? We had Josh over for a meal the other day, and I'm not going to tell you how much food he consumed. Um, he's a, only a little guy. He's only a little guy, but when he, we go to, well, no, when we go to Bradford, I'm not allowed to say what we do in Bradford, are we? But when you're at my house, I can say it, can't I? He ate, he ate an, a hearty meal. His first was like first and seconds. Who was there to testify? Anyone here to testify? Oh, you, were, oh, you weren't there. Oh, you'd left by then. His first, who was, someone else was there. Andrew was there. And he had first and seconds all in one go. Then he had seconds. <laughs> then we had sticky toffee pudding and custard. Don't forget there's a newcomer's meal at our house sometime soon. Who wants to put their name down for it? Uh, no, you've been, you came recently, didn't you? Okay. So how many of us have been really hungry really hungry, and we've gone to the fridge and opened the fridge, and there's a shed load of stuff. I don't know why there's a shed load of stuff in the fridge, but that's the way I can, anyway, I can explain it. It's just full. But you look in there and you think, I'm hungry, but I don't know what I fancy. Have you gone, you, you know, you, but I, I don't know what will hit the spot. There's nothing, it's, I don't want a curry, I don't want ice cream, although I want to eat ice cream even in winter. We had an ice cream yesterday, didn't we? It was freezing. We went to, where would we go? Southwold, and we had an ice cream, it was freezing. And people were looking at us probably like we were mad. So how many of us have gone to the fridge and and done that, and you think, I I just really don't want to, you know, I'm not really sure if I want fancy anything. How many of us have tried to find fulfillment or satisfaction in our career? Well, we think that money, things like money or stuff, things added to our lives, are going to make us feel satisfied. How about relationships? alcohol, drugs, we fill our lives with those kinds of things because maybe we're empty and we we need to be satisfied and filled, but we just can't find anything that will truly satisfy. Even gambling or study. 
Study can be, we can study ourselves to death. How many of you known uh, lifetime students? They're always studying. Probably never learning much, but they're always studying. But that's not true for everybody, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Years ago, who remembers the Rolling Stones? If you don't know who they are, just Google it. They wrote a song. They wrote a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Can someone give me a mic and I'll sing it quickly for you? Just so that you can get up to speed. Oh, there's a mic there, I can sing with that. Hey, or you too. You two wrote a song. What was the song that they wrote? Does anyone remember? I know they wrote many. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's like going to the fridge. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You think, oh, I hope it. I just, I don't know. It's just, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What about you? Have you really found what you're looking for? I believe God is the only one who can satisfy the hunger, the thirst that we have within. He will give us purpose, contentment, fulfillment, peace, a sense of destiny. When you truly know God, you can have those things in your life. Amen? And Jesus uses the metaphor of hunger and thirsting for righteousness in order to be filled. And Jesus said we should seek two things in the next verse. You can tell me what Matthew 6.33 is. I want you to say it out loud. If you know all of the verse, that's great. Can you say it for me without looking at your Bibles? Matthew 6.33. Don't do it looking at your Bibles. Yes. And his? So seek first the kingdom of God. That's the first thing that we've got to seek. Is that right? And what else? And his righteousness. And? All these things. What things? All the things we read in the verses prior to that. He said, don't worry about what you wear, what you put on, your clothing, what you'll eat or anything else because your heavenly father will look after you. If he clothes the, you know, feeds the birds of the air, he can look after you, can't he? But we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We may have pursued other things to fill that hunger and that thirst within. You know, we only have to look at the life of Solomon. There's a book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? And we're going to go there and have a look at that for a minute because he had this problem. He was the king. He was the wisest man that ever lived. He was a king. And we're going to have a look at Ecclesiastes 1.18, the New International Version. If you've got your Bibles, please go there with me. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18. Because he tries knowledge. He thinks, if I can gain a lot more knowledge, maybe I could satisfy the hunger and the thirst that I have. And look what he says about that. And no, There's nothing wrong with knowledge. All right? I'm not saying knowledge is bad. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's what he said. The wisest man that ever lived. Knowledge isn't a bad thing, but Solomon said that knowledge has given him grief. You know, there's more knowledge on the earth today... Would you agree with that? There's more knowledge on the earth today, but has it made us any wiser, any happier, any more content? Does knowledge really satisfy? You study for years and years, and there's nothing wrong with that. You study for years and years and years, and you know it really doesn't satisfy you. Maybe you get your degree, you get your bachelor's. How does it start? Bachelor's? What's the next one? Master's, then what? PhD. People you know, go after those things, and there's nothing wrong with that, and education is good. So you guys are at school... Any teachers here? Tell your, tell your teachers, there's a couple of teachers here. How many teachers? Some retired teacher over there. Julie's a retired teacher as well. Oh, uh, Jean is. Oh, Kimini as well. Glad to see you in church, Kimini. Great that you're here. Lovely to see you. Just tell them that knowledge is good. I love, I love learning. 
You young people are still going to school. I know you're embarrassed to do that, but I love learning. I didn't like school. I kept looking out the window, seeing everyone on the playing field, and I wanted to be on the playing field. Sport was my thing. Learning wasn't. But I suppose I mean, they're, they're the best years of your life. School is the best years of your life. Don't give up on school. So Solomon was wearied by this. Let's have a look at in chapter 2. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1. He says this. I said to myself, so obviously he likes talking to himself. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So he tried knowledge, now he's trying pleasure. And that's also meaningless. He saw it was no good. He tried alcohol, women. You know, he had seven, wait for it men. 700 wives and 300 concubines. He even said he hated life. <laughs> There's a lot of mumbling going on here. <laughs> now, men, please don't say out loud one's enough, please. That's not good. I would never say that. Although one... Sorry? The one is enough. The one... Yeah, the we, yeah, yeah, Esther's more than enough for me. <laughs> or, did I, or meant, what was I meant to say? She's more than a, <laughs> more than a match for me. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to redeem myself. <laughs> All the ladies are going to come up and beat me up. I'm going to redeem myself. Do, do I ever acknowledge my wife in church and say how much I love her? Do I tell, it, tell you how much she's amazing? She is absolutely amazing. So that's just a bit of fun there, all right? Ecclesiastes, <laughs> change the subject quick. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The last and final word is this. You know, Solomon came to the end of this book that he wrote in Ecclesiastes, and this is what he wrote, because he realized that all the things that he tried to fill his life with to try and satisfy that hunger and thirst just would not satisfy. And this is the conclusion he came to. The last and final word is this, fear God. Now that doesn't mean that we're to be terrified of God. Amen? That's not what that's talking about. It means to worship God. It means to reverence before him, to reverentially honor God. And that's what we're meant to do. And then it goes on to say, do what he tells you. Right? Do what he tells you. So that's a good, that's good instruction, isn't it? Now I said earlier, there are at least two meanings to righteousness. There are many, and I'm going to read a few when I explain what righteousness means. But we're going to have a look at two if we've got the time to do that. It means right living in a way that pleases Jesus. Now let's have a look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3.15. and it's, I think this is really important. I, I never saw the importance of this until I was studying this, and I got this real revelation last night and this morning. As I get up early to pray, I go uh, earlier to bed on a Saturday night, and I spend some time praying and worshipping before I do anything else. And I really got, for the first time, a revelation in part of this verse, in a simple little word that I never really saw before, and I saw it, and it just blew my mind. I hope it blows your mind. Just talk amongst yourself for a moment. This might be very familiar to you. It's very familiar to me. I've read it and taught on it thousands of times and mentioned it in verses, in messages and so on. But um, John the Baptist is baptizing people and then Jesus comes along. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, you know, I have no right to baptize you. But Jesus said, baptize me because I, I want to be baptized. And we're going to have a, a look at that right now. He said, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us. I never really saw that before. Us to fulfill all righteousness. Who's he talking about? He didn't say it's fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness because Jesus was fully righteous. He didn't need to be baptized because he was fully righteous. He was doing that to show us, to show it's an example to us to follow that example. It's fitting for us, look at this, to fulfill what? All righteousness. You know, the Living Bible, I don't think I've got it up there. I haven't. The Living Bible says this, please do it for I must do all that is right. Isn't that amazing? The King of kings, the King of glory, who is fully righteous, did this to say, I need to do what is fully right. You know, he did nothing except the Father tell him to do it. So who told him to do it? God probably thought that was a good idea. You go down and be baptized, not because he needed baptism, but he wanted to show us the way. So Jesus is fully righteous. So why did he feel the need to be baptized? But read the last part of that verse again. Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see the word us there. Now the new living, I haven't got that up there, but the new living. Anyone got a new living? Just read that out for me. Let's just see if it's the same as mine. Because sometimes my Bible program and my new living translation, which I've got here, I read from that every day. Uh, yeah, Matthew 3.15, is it? What is it? Right, just read that again, and I'm going to stop you partway. But Jesus said, it should be done for we... We, stop there, for what? We. For we. We what? We must carry out all that God requires. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said that. Why? He included us. Who's it meant for? It's meant for us, isn't it? I got a real revelation about that, and I thought, wow, that is just amazing. That brought another dimension to that verse that I never really saw before. Jesus said it's about us doing the right things, living right before God. Okay, okay. although we're fully righteous, we're to practice righteousness. Did you know that? How do we practice righteousness? Let's have a look here. 1 John 2.29 If you know that he is absolutely righteous, that's Jesus, you know for certain that everyone who practices... Who practices righteousness? Everyone. Does that leave out anybody? Everyone who does what? Practices righteousness. That's doing what is right. And look at this. And conforming to God's will. A born of him. We're conforming to God's will when we are pursuing righteousness. Living right before God. So righteousness isn't just right standing with God. I have right standing. It's living right before God. Living in a broken world, a lost world. That is, living, that is going contrary to what we believe as Christians, because these verses are countercultural to the way that others are living in the world. Amen? And we as the church must make a stand. We should be practicing righteousness, fulfilling righteousness by doing what Jesus tells us to do and commanding when he commands us to do something for us to do it. Do we get that? Look at the Greek for righteousness. I'd never, I'd never looked at it, I probably looked at it before, never saw this. This is what righteousness means. Integrity. Should we be people of integrity? 
When you're at work, as a Christian, should you show integrity? What if your boss wants you to lie for him? What do you do? What if he's really strong? If he's a really strong uh, personality, and you think, cool, I can't, I can't not say, you know, because my boss did that when I first got saved. He said to me, the phone rang, and he said, oh, if that's, if that's for me, tell him I'm not here. And I just piped up, I just said, I can't. He said, he said what do you mean you can't? I said, I can't do that, it's a lie. I can't do that. And I was only a young Christian, but I knew, I knew enough, I'm not going to lie for somebody else. And that's a simple thing, isn't it? Are we going to have integrity when we're at work, when we're in our college, when we're in our school? Are we going to stand up for truth? Are we going to live right the way God wants us to, not the way I want you to or the church wants you to? This is God's word. Should we live by this? That's countercultural to the world, isn't it? What Jesus is asking us to do here. You know, we can live a righteous life and practice righteousness because Christ lives within us. He will empower us to live a godly life. Amen? Do, uh, any of you make mistakes? Yes. Any of you sin? Yes. I knew that number plate wasn't. I knew it. I'm a part, you know, I hang my head in shame again. I'm a blessed pastor for goodness sake. I just thought it'd look cool. And I got, I got, I paid the price. And I owned up. I didn't argue. I just owned up. I said, you know what? I'm guilty. Just give me the fine. And I was, I was nice about it, wasn't I? And then when we rode off, I thought, I hope he falls off his bike. No, I didn't. No, I didn't say that. I didn't. I wouldn't say anything like that. Virtue. What's the next one? Purity of life. Uprightness. Correctness of what? Thinking, Thinking feeling, and, and acting. Let's pick out purity of life for a moment from the Greek. I believe we should live a life of purity once we're saved. That means we should live right before God. And I don't know about you, if I asked every one of you after you're saved, if you've made a mistake, you'd say yes. Have you sinned? Yes. Did you sin yesterday? Probably. And if I ask this side as well, you ever made a mistake? I've made plenty. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. We're forgiven. And we've got to walk this life as Christians and live this life as Christians the best way we can, asking God to help us in difficult, challenging situations where we are tempted to do things that we shouldn't do. And we're all tempted. I'm tempted, just like you. Cut me, I'm going to bleed. It's not going to be blue blood. It's going to be red blood like yours. Is that right? Now, do you know the Bible? what the Bible says if we keep on sinning after we're saved? It's called unrighteousness, right? Because the Apostle John links sin and unrighteousness in one verse. 1 John 1, 9. Praise God for 1 John 1, 9. Right, I'm, I'm going to take that off. Who can, who can read that out for me verbatim? 1 John 1, 9. This side. It's not about being clever. It's, you know, we need to get this stuff in our hearts, don't we? I memorize scripture so that when I fall, I know what, how to and where to look when I fall. Anyone this side? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us all. Really? Is that what it says? Are you sure? I don't know about that. Sorry? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what it says. Here we go. If we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all Unrighteousness. So sin and unrighteousness are in the same verse. Aren't you glad for 1 John 1 9? Because when I mess up, that's what I do. You're a mer- you know God's mercies in you every day. 
Mine might not be. That's why he's just. That's why he's good. Amen? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we're fully righteous the moment we're saved, and if we occasionally sin after we're saved, we can confess our sin and God will forgive us. But, but, again, this is where we come to the but. But if we have unconfessed sin in our lives and we live in a lifestyle of sin, what about that? It's gone quiet in here. What about that? After we're saved, after we're meant to, we're meant to live righteous, what do we do with that? Are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness if we're living a life contrary to what God, the way God wants us to live our lives? Are we living the way God wants us to? And again, we all mess up, we all make mistakes, and God will forgive us. But if we're in a cycle, a lifestyle, living a lifestyle of sin, what about that? That's a problem. It really is. Now, I'm not condemning anyone. We're looking at the true meaning of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is what our Bible says. Not making anything up. That's why I get you to look at your Bibles so you can see it for yourself. Praise God he is just and faithful because people will condemn you. I'm not condemning anyone this morning if you're living that kind of a life. But come on, let's live righteously before God. We're Christians. We need to be different from the world. Not perfect. We're not perfect. There's only one perfect who walked the earth and that's Jesus. But we've got to be conformed to the image of, 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 of Christ. Is that right? That's what the Bible says as best we can. And you think, how can I do that? Because I'm tempted. I'm a young man. I'm a young woman. How can I do that? You've got the Holy Spirit living within you and he will help you live a godly, holy life. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. It's getting a bit serious now, isn't it? But this is the word of God. This is God showing us how to live. Come on. He said the path is narrow. Isn't it? If you find it. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard as a young person to live. Tempted with all the, it's hard to, as a person to live with all the temptations that we face, isn't it? And that road is very narrow. Few find it. Broad is the road to what? And many find it. To, to, you know, to be honest, to say you're a Christian to your friends, that's hard, isn't it? I found that very hard when I first got saved. I thought, God, I can't tell these blokes they're tough and hard. But I got to the point where we shared our faith and people came to church. See, when people go through stuff, and you say, who, said, who spoke to me the other day about someone being, I heard a testimony of someone, and they said to this person, can I pray for you? And they said, yes, please. In our life group, somewhere, someone said that. You ask someone that's going through trouble at your workplace, and you, they know you're a Christian, and you say, can I pray for you? Most people will say yes. They will. They'll know. You know, Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. We need both. We need grace. We need to give people grace because we've all messed up. And if people are struggling with sin, you need to confess it. What does is, what is the Bible say in James 5? Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Wow, isn't that amazing? James 5, 14, if you read all of that, it says, any among you sick, let them call the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. But then it goes on, it says, pray for one another. And confess your faults to one another, your sins to one another, so that you may be healed. You know, sin is a problem to God. That's why he sent Jesus to die a cruel death on the cross for us. To take away the sin. But we all still sin. But let's not get in, into a lifestyle of sin, a life cycle of sin, where we're going down a path where, you know, we can get, oh, I'm sorry, God, yeah, 1 John 1, 9 says, and God will come to a point and say, son, daughter, you've got to stop. 
Come on. I'm not condemning anybody. Like the woman caught, caught in the act of adultery. Where was the man? Come on, where was the man? Yeah. Come on, men, where was the man? What did Jesus say? He said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. I love that. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. So we're not here to condemn people that fall into sin. We're not living the way we should be living. But what did he say to her? Go and sin no more. That's the truth. We need grace, but we need the truth. You come to this church, you're going to get the truth as we see it in our Bibles. Come on, let's live the way God wants us to live. Go and sin no more. We need grace and truth when we preach and, treat, uh, preach and teach. And if you're struggling in an area of sin, again, the Bible says confess your sins. Come, come and find help. We're here to help people. Not to condemn or judge them and put them down. Because we've, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all struggled with that. I'm just going to cut some of my message out and go to the last few scriptures. Because there's something called self-righteousness, isn't there? Hey? Our self-righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. We have his righteousness. I want to do this. Come here, Sabian. Has anyone got a hat? Yeah, thanks. Just bring, run here. Run and bring it to me. Even better. If I suit this now. Uh, You've you got to imagine that this is bigger than it is. Is that all right? W when we get saved, we don't get the down payment. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? Has anyone got a, has anyone got a camera? No, no, don't. No, no. And then we'll, we'll send it to all. No, no, we won't do that. When we get saved, we don't get the down payment for righteousness, and then we earn more righteousness as we go along, and then other stuff is added to us. But just remember, just think of this as a massive, great robe. Can you picture that? That's Jesus' robe. And when we get saved, he covers and clothes us all with his righteousness. We have his righteousness, not a righteousness of our own. Thanks, Sabian. Give him a clap. I don't, I don't, know, if that, I don't know if that helped you or not. I don't know. But we're going to go to just a few more verses here. Look at this. Still in Matthew 5. And these, these are challenging messages. They really are. They're challenging to preach. It's challenging to teach, but we need to, we need to get this. Let's have a look here. Matthew, where am I? 5.20. Jesus said this in this whole parable, in this message that he was sharing, uh, these Beatitudes. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, they were religious people, weren't they? The scribes and the Pharisees. They, they, they lived by the law. They taught the law. They thought they were holy and righteous, but they lived in such a way that they would brag about their praying, brag about their giving, brag when they were fasting. right? But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's, that's amazing. And then in the next verse, we can see a great example of how the Pharisees saw themselves. Look at this. Luke 18, 9, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous. Look at that. The Amplified says this, posing outwardly as upright in right standing with God and who viewed others with contempt. Verse 10, 
Two men went up into the temple enclosure to pray. One a Pharisee and one uh, another a tax collector. Verse 11. Have I got that up there? Here we go. The Pharisee stood ostentatiously and began praying to himself in a self-righteous way, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of them, swindlers, unjust, dishonest, adulterers, even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pray, I pay my tithes, and all I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing at a distance, would not even raise his eyes towards heaven, but was striking his chest in humility and repentance, saying, God, be merciful to me and gracious to me, the especially wicked sinner that I am. Who do you think was justified? Who do you think was justified? This is Jesus speaking now. I tell you, this man went to his home justified, forgiven of the guilt of his sin and placed in right standing with God, rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, forsaking self-righteous pride, will be exalted. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? You know, righteousness, like grace, is a free gift. And we receive it as a free gift. But we have to live in such a way that pleases God. We do. And we're all on a journey. We're all on this path, hopefully walking and living the life that God wants us to walk. But we're not walking alone. This is a collective walk. That's why we have the church. That's why we have people in the church that you can trust and go to. And if you're struggling with stuff, go to talk to them. Talk to them and pray with them. And say, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me in this? I pray with people and we exchange these thoughts. I'm struggling with this. I'm having a problem with this. Can you pray for me? We all need to do it. We need someone in our lives to do that with. But righteousness means right standing with God. But it also means living, living a life of purity, living a life of integrity, uprightness, correctness of thinking, acting and humbly before others. And what will be the fruit of this? Last verse of scripture. Can we have the band up? Are they coming up? Yeah, let's have the band up. What will be the fruit of this? Proverbs 6. But if you go to Proverbs 10, you'll, get, you'll see verses 6, 7, 11, and 25. I'm going to read some of them. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. You know, I can't, I can't say this enough. When I first became a Christian, my pastor didn't get in my face and say, you do realise you've got to give up this, that. Let's close our eyes. Because I smoked, I drank, I swore. First thing God took from me was swearing. I just couldn't swear the next day when I, after I got saved. Drinking and smoking took a little bit of time, but God, no one said to me, Richard, you're a Christian now. You've got to get your act together. You've got to dress nice when you come to church. You've got to stop smoking. You've got to stop drinking. Live a great life. No, they didn't say any of that. They just allowed us to just sit under the word of God and allow truth to wash our hearts. The, that's what changes us. People getting in your face, putting a finger in your face will not stop you doing stuff. Love will do that. When people know you love them, they'll realize you want the best for them. Do we get that? And we love you. God loves you. 
And when we're living unrighteously, we're just digging a hole for ourselves. We really are. God will still love you. But he'll try and encourage you to get back on that path again. We all make mistakes. And over time, God started to deal with me about the smoking and the drinking. And again, if you smoke and you drink, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to say stop. God will get to that point in your life where he'll say stop. I want you to stop doing this. And if you're living a life that's not pleasing to God, ask him to help you and he'll help you. Ask your brothers and sisters around you to help you in that. I know this is a challenging teaching. It's, challenged, it's challenging to teach it, but this is the truth. We can, uh, we can have truth or not no truth. What are we going to have? I want to live by the truth, and I want to live the best I can. Yeah, truth sets us free, doesn't it? Other stuff will just keep us in bondage. What about you? I want to ask where you are with God this morning, friend. I don't believe you're here by accident. I really don't. God's been drawing you, been speaking to you, talking to you. And he wants your heart, he wants your life. He wants to come into your life and save you. Are you saved today? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you made him the Lord of your life today? I want to give you the opportunity if you haven't. If you haven't asked Jesus to come into your life and save you, I just want you to respond by putting your hand up in a moment. Do you know Jesus died for you, friend? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I, found that, I find that amazing, outstanding. So he died for you, friend. And I believe he's been knocking on the door of your heart and he wants to come in. But the handle of that door is on the inside of our hearts. He wants you to open the handle of your heart and say, come in and save me. Is that you today? Am I speaking to you? Going to church is good. Going to church doesn't save us. Making Jesus the Lord of our lives confessing him as Lord, believing that he died for us, that he raised, was raised from the dead. That's what saves us. What about you, friend? Are you saved? If you're not, just put your hand up and say, you're talking to me today. I, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life right now. Is that you? Just put your hand up and I'll see it. More importantly, Jesus will see it. Anybody this morning. Maybe you've just gone cold in your relationship with God, cold in your heart towards him. But you're here today. And you want to give God another chance. You know, friend, he wants to give you a chance as well. Is that you? Am I speaking to you? I believe he's knocking on the door with your heart as well. He wants you back. Is that you? Just put your hand up and say, that's me. I've just grown cold and I'm, I'm not serving God like I could and I want to. I'm not living like I could, but I want to. Is that you? Just raise your hand up. I'll see it. God will see it. It's really good. Are we all Okay. And if you've struggled with some of the things that I've shared this morning, please come and speak to me or a member of our team or someone that you really trust and talk through some of the stuff that you're struggling with. And we just want to help you, that's all. So Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the wonderful testimonies that we've had. Thank you that we're going to surround these people that have given testimony today with, with our love to encourage them over the coming days and weeks ahead, those who are struggling with this, Lord. And Father, I pray as we go right now, I thank you that your angels would encamp around about us, keep us safe and free from harm until we can all meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Fields Church, would like to contact us or have prayer requests, please email hello at fieldschurch.uk and we'll get back to you. 
May God bless you this day.